Now, this is Box to Box with Rob Gilbus and Michael Edgeley. Oh, what a goal! For Chemist Warehouse. Home of real brands and real savings. And Storage King. The kings of storage moving and Hello and welcome to Box the Box, the show that is everything football. You're with Rob Gilbert and Michael Edgley to run the rule over the past week in the world game. First edition news with Willem van Dendra shortly. And of course, our former ITN journo turned pundit Derek Dyson will be joining us throughout the show. But first up, A-League men's finals are well and truly underway. And as we go to air, the first leg of the grand final qualifiers are complete. We've seen some quality football in all four games so far. And while the crowds have been modest, there's a sense that the season is going to get a championship decider that will at least prove a high watermark for a largely forgettable season. To discuss what's happened and what might happen in the week ahead, one of our favourite voices of the game in this country, the ABC's Daniel Garb, joins us. Willem, after that, with the latest on the Matildas and Socceroos around the club scene. And of course, it's the final round of the English Premier League. And we're set for a tantalising crescendo with Manchester City a point ahead of a quadruple chasing Liverpool, needing to win against former Reds Titan Steven Gerrard's Aston Villa to take the title. Of course, Jurgen Klopp's men need to do their part by getting all three points against Wolves at Anfield. So the stage is set for what may go down as one of the great ends to a season. And we're delighted that our friend Henry Winter from The Times will join us to pick apart the possibilities. And, of course, we'll wrap it up with stoppage time with Derek Edge, it's been a busy week, but marked by some sad news about a really influential uh, person in in football uh, from a behind-the-scenes point of view in this country. Hello, Rob, and hello to our listeners right around Australia and wherever you are in the world. Uh, Welcome back to Box the Box. Look, yes, some desperately sad news I wanted to reflect on that has come through um, last Monday, and that is that Melbourne Victory Club director and majority shareholder, uh, Metrigon Homes founder and MD Mario Bison uh, suddenly passed away at the age of 72. Um, It's deeply tragic and sad news. Uh, Mario has been an unwavering supporter of football in Australia and a big part of the financial muscle behind Melbourne Victory. His involvement at Victory goes back 16 years. Uh, He's going to be sorely missed by our football family, let alone uh, Melbourne Victory. Vale Mario, um, you were a phenomenal football person and everybody in the football family is hurting this week. Not to mention Metricon Homes, um, uh, I believe the largest uh, housing construction company in Australia, over 3,500 employees, not to mention the thousands of subcontractors and I do believe uh, Metricon was having some challenges dealing with the realignment of uh, rising costs in the building building, uh, industry and the supply chain. So it's just... Desperately tragic news and just a message to anybody out there, if you're having trouble, if you're having, whether it's at your work or whether it's with your family, reach out to your friends and let them know because this is just desperately sad news, Rob. Yeah, it's terrible. And, um, you know, from uh, some of my uh, my business uh, uh, clients who, uh, you know, not as big into football as we are, but just sort of casual supporters, uh, my good mate Johnny Accardo from Hoyt's Food, uh, who many of our listeners will know, Hoyt's Herbs and Spices, uh, um, he pinged me this message because they've been, you know, as a family, the Accardo family, uh, involved in Melbourne Victory since day one and um, and had um, the fondest of words to say about Mario as, uh, you know, as a business supporter, a promoter of football in this country, and uh, um, as a, an all-round good guy. So, um, you know, it's, it's shocking news. And, uh, and yeah, I okay, echo your thoughts, Edge. Well said, mate. Willem, we've got... Hello. Uh, 
With that, hello to you. It's been a massive week. Uh, so much football news. The pointy end of uh, seasons in Europe and in Australia. What do you got for us? I want to start once again with Sam Kerr-Michael, who has seen Chelsea to FA Cup glory for the second year running, adding another two Wembley goals as the Blues defeated Man City 3-2 after extra time. So that's eight goals in four finals Sam has now. A crowd of 49,000, if you don't mind, watch Kerr open the scoring on 33 minutes before Matilda's teammate Hayley Rasso later levelled at 2-all to force extra time. Oh, Samantha Kerr, how good was that? Um, I must admit it wasn't lost on me that she uh, got her winning goal, uh, that massive uh, sprint uh, uh, and, and straight to, at the goals, but she she got that off a, a mistake from Alana Kennedy, her Matilda's teammate, and also a really special shout out to Hayley Rasso, who scored a wonderful goal for Manchester City to bring it back to two two. So our Matildas on the world stage getting the job done again, Willem. It's been a week to be grateful in Australian football. I think Michael, okay, our Socceroos they might be missing the World Cup for the first time in twenty odd years, and we don't have a golden generation at the moment, and we're not producing uh, the the male players as we would like and the A-League's in a bit of a hole but other than that we've had uh, our first Australian manager in Europe in the men's game winning a, a, a Scottish league title we've had Sam Kerr winning her second FA Cup we've had three Matildas uh, competing in the FA Cup final and this Sunday morning 3am our time on the east of Australia here we're going to have our first Australian since Harry Kuehl competing in a Champions League final Ellie Carpenter with Leon, of course up against Barcelona so it's been a, a magnificent week as all of these seasons uh, roll to their conclusions. Uh, good to have you back this week, uh, Rob. Oh, yeah, thanks, Willem. Um, look, uh, I've got to first of all um, uh, give you a shout out because uh, as we were preparing for the show, eagerly listeners will have known that uh, that I was missing, despite the fact that the uh, the introductory uh, opener to the show said that I was here. Um, I, I ended up in uh, in the Cabrini Hospital in downtown Malvern, uh, accident and emergency department. Uh, with uh, a kidney stone. Um, and uh, look, uh, I, I won't try to describe it myself, but uh, ha- have a listen to this as the great Kramer. Um, I do love a pop culture reference, as anyone who listens to this show will know. Uh, Kramer from Seinfeld uh, describes what it's like to have a kidney stone. I got a stone. <laughs> what stone? A kidney stone. What is that anyway? It's a, it's a stony mineral concretion <laughs> formed abnormally in the kidney. And this jagged shard of calcium pushes its way through the ureter into the bladder. It's forced out through the ureter. <laughs> oh, that's gotta hurt. Uh, Kramer, you said it so well. Because I'm telling you, morphine is one of the greatest inventions of all time. And when you're going through one of those, any one of our listeners who has been through the whole scenario, uh, but you're I, not you're not out of the woods yet, are you, Rob? You've got a balloon up the old fella, and I imagine that's a new experience. <laughs> No, it, it's just fascinating uh, you, you hear about all of these things. Uh, uh, it's called a stent um, and the stone is still there. And uh, I've just got to give a big shout out to my urologist, uh, uh, Dr. James Grummet, who, uh, who came in off the bench at late notice and uh, and rang me uh, uh, on Friday morning and said he'd come in at nine o'clock. So the only good thing about it was that um, I... Uh, uh, I was able to to rest up during the day, and uh, look, I'm probably going on a little bit too long. You probably are going um, on a little bit too yeah, long, but but I'm sure I know you found it funny because anyway, I did because yeah. um, um, one of the females who um, I spent a lot of time with, my oldest daughter Angela, said um, her boyfriend's dad had a, a similar experience, and he said that a lot of the nurses were saying that uh, for a man uh, passing a kidney stone, it's almost similar to a woman giving birth. So if that's an analogy, people can get their head around. <laughs> I imagine. 
uh, there's a fair bit of screaming and shouting and uh, expletives. <laughs> yes, there was. And uh, and the only nurse who wasn't nice to me was the one that I lived with, my wife. <laughs> who I, got a, <laughs> I said that from a distance anyway. Uh, but um, uh, she's beautiful, Sandra. Thank you very much for your help. And uh, excellent work. Hard to you. wrap your head around that analogy, Michael, if you've only been on one side of the fence. But let's have a look at the, uh, the A-League semis. They are on at the minute. And they're both alive heading into the return legs. Melbourne victory defeated Western United 1-0 on Tuesday night. And Adelaide United and Melbourne City settled for a draw the following evening. So that sets up this weekend. Melbourne victory against Western United again at the same venue. Obviously, Amy Park at 5.10 and Melbourne City against Adelaide at 2.05 at Amy Park. So I think uh, obviously victory take an aggregate and a win into uh, an aggregate lead and a win into that match, uh, Michael. But I think having had a look at Adelaide United, I certainly would not discount them uh, from getting the job done away from home. Uh, they were very, very good. Neither side could really land the blow. I think the the striker Ibasuki was a little bit disappointing, but if they can get a fit Cassini Yangi into that position, they'll be, uh, they'll be much better off. And I'm tipping the upset there, Adelaide to play Melbourne victory in the grand final. Yeah, look, Melbourne victory versus City or Adelaide would be a worthy grand final, wouldn't it? We've had some amazing Adelaide United and Melbourne victory finals and um, who can forget Archie's six goals. Um, look, it'll be interesting, won't it? I think cities will get the job done. Oh, look, two-leg, home and away, two-leg playoffs uh, like this. The first one's normally a, a dour affair. I thought Western United and Melbourne victory was a dour affair um, and they normally heat up well and surely in the second leg. So I think there's some twists and turns in both games to go, but I'm backing the two teams that are finished one and two to get through to the final. And a Melbourne derby grand final would be a great way to finish the, uh, the season, no doubt. And looking at next season, MacArthur have confirmed Dwight York as their manager on a two-year deal. Uh, that'll be his first position in full-time management. Of course, that comes after Wednesday's meeting with Barcelona, where he'll take charge of the A-League All-Stars. He just couldn't write this stuff. Bulls CEO Sam Kreslovich has said that as a young club, York's appointment will be synonymous with their evolution. Rob, uh, chances for young Australian coaches is obviously the thing that uh, will usually come up here, and I think that's improved significantly uh, over the last little while. So while this may be one step back, I don't think it's you know a reason to get too hysterical, but what was hysterical was seeing MacArthur announce it with a highlights video of York scoring goals for Manchester United in the late 90s and then saying this guy's going to be the manager. Yeah, look, I don't think it's a step back at all, Willem. I think this this league of ours needs as much good publicity as possible. And uh, um, and the uh, you know the legacy that Dwight York has from the early days of the A-League is is all positive, really. Uh, he uh, he brought a real halo of, uh, of uh, you know, the superstar that he was. Um, you know, he was at the back end of his career but he still had plenty of football left in the tank. They won that title famously in the first season. And uh, for him to come back, uh, you know, a decade and a half later, uh, uh, you know, even though he's only uh, a burgeoning manager at the, at the beginning of his career, um, I, I think it's a positive thing. And, uh, and you know, I, I think uh, anyone who suggests that it's, it's uh, you know, a step ladder over uh, local coaches might also reflect on you know the uh, the publicity that he brings as well as his ability. And a final one which we didn't get time to touch on last week, uh, Football Australia, the reformed their club licensing policy. That's aimed to ensure minimum standards and benchmarking of clubs across the A-Leagues, proposed national second division and NPL competitions. Club licensing, Michael, had formerly been the domain of the AFC, uh, but Football Australia agreed to create their localised system when they unbundled the A-Leagues uh, to the APL in December 
2020. So it's basically a whole of game framework that's going to sit uh, across the top three divisions. There's going to be uh, differences and discrepancies depending on the level of professionalization, but basically it's going to try to stitch together the uh, the sort of wide chasms of, uh, of governance between the three levels and that they believe is going to help them enforce uh, things such as the transfer system in the second division. Yeah, the five categories, sporting, infrastructure, personnel, administrative, legal and financial. So I think the legal and financial one is the one which uh, will, uh, for the um, burgeoning sort of national second division clubs, is a big one for them to get their heads around. But uh, you had a fantastic chat to James Johnson and you can uh, read all about that in Soccer Scene. Willem's written an article for Soccer Scene where um, James outlines the details of how uh, this club licensing system um, will be uh, really important to hang, hang the second division and the tran- domestic transfer system around. I noticed um, there's been a fair bit of discussion from the PFA, Willem, uh, not really happy with the, with the domestic transfer system and saying that they really won't support it and needs to be in the CBA and um, they wouldn't support it unless the salary cap was removed at the top level of professional football for men and women. So there's a lot to play out there. But uh, yes, um, it seems to me James Johnson's just slowly building the foundations for uh, the revolution uh, in football around the commercial structures, in particular this licensing system, which will help keep the A-League clubs accountable national second division platform and obviously um, the domestic transfer system which uh, according to James is rivers of gold for the federation into the future so important work there maybe not uh, in the headline grabbing nature of a um, of a big goal in a grand final but still uh, stuff that needs to happen and uh, watch this space because the PFA don't necessarily agree with it and uh, and who could have said it better than Michael Edgley you said it very well uh, Willem well done great start to the show um after the break, we are going to get stuck into the A-League finals in a little bit more detail with one of our favourite guests, a regular on Box to Box, Daniel Garb from the ABC. Garby's been watching all of the games very closely and uh, we'll get his take on the game so far and you know, what he thinks is going to happen in the week ahead. All next on Box to Box. Box to Box. Can you believe it? For Chemist Warehouse. Home of real brands and real savings. And Storage King. The kings of storage, moving and more. And this could be the most crucial goal of all. Yeah, this is Box to Box. And what we hope will be the last of the COVID-disrupted season, the men's finals of the A-League, well and truly underway. The first leg of the grand final qualifiers are now complete. We've seen some good games of football in the four games so far. Crowds have been pretty ordinary. Um, but there is a sense that the season is probably going to get a championship decider that will at least be a high watermark for a largely forgettable season. And to discuss it with us is uh, from the ABC, our good friend Daniel Garb. How are you, Gabby? Good, lads. How are you going? Yeah, pretty good, mate. Um, Michael Edgley with us, mate. Uh, Edge, um, what's your assessment of, of what we've seen so far? Well, the first question I've got for Garby is I want him, obviously, uh, we'll, we'll, we'll go through the results with Willem in a moment and look to preview the um, the second legs. But I just want to ask Garby off the top, what's your view on the new finals format, uh, the semi-finals, home and away legs, and um, the scheduling midweek of the first leg? I just want to get your general thoughts on how you think the APL has handled the introduction of these uh, new, this new final system and... Um, in particular, the midweek games, is, is that good or bad? Yeah, I quite like it. I think they've done pretty well considering the circumstances. I like a two-leg semi-final. I think it adds a bit more beef to the finals series and makes for a, a fairer, I think, grand final decider that you get that 
that's double chance in a sense over two legs. I think that's a, a better way to do it. The midweek aspect of it is not ideal, but they were, were constricted in that sense because of the Socceroos' upcoming game. So they had to get the games out. They couldn't extend them over over two weekends. Um, so, yeah, I think they've, they've done it pretty well, to be honest. I'd like to see it in a in a season where, you know, we haven't been disrupted by COVID. We haven't had fixture disruptions like we have had this season. I think it would be, especially if the, the two-legged semi is over two weekends, I think it would be received quite well. But, yeah, I'm a fan of it. I think they've reconfigured it quite nicely and, yeah, set up well for a, a big grand final next weekend. Obviously, the other uh, story is the domination of the Melbourne clubs and the likelihood of two Melbourne clubs uh, should City get over the top of Adelaide in the return leg, which they would be favourites to do. Um, a big Melbourne derby to finish. Um, for me, um, Melbourne City, great squad, very dominant year, worthy premiers. But Melbourne victory going from last to the top of the table and um, ending up in a grand final is one hell of a story. So, um, what's your, you know, what's your feeling around the the, the biggest narrative that uh, these clubs have? Yeah, I mean, look, a Melbourne derby grand final would be fantastic. It'll probably sum up the season that we've had in the A League. That after all that, we still don't get a Melbourne derby grand final. Wouldn't that be wouldn't that be uh, in line with uh, the campaign we've had? But hopefully, it can end on a bang from a neutral point of view with uh, with the Melbourne Derby Grand Final. That being said, I think Adelaide are going to have a, a big say in the second leg. I would not be ruling them out whatsoever. They've got a lot of quality up forward, and if they can frustrate Melbourne City, watch out for them on the counter-attack. I still think there's a lot to play out in that second leg. You can't rule out Western United either, but a Melbourne victory with the run-in of form they've had coming into the finals, 1-0 up in that semi-final so far. Western United... Haven't limped into the final series at all, but they, they had a, definitely a much stronger start to the season. Their finals place was set up in their first two, three months. Um, they did well to beat Wellington, but that was an even game, and their form has been a little bit up and down coming into the final. So you'd think victory would be too strong with the depth they've got as well. Um, but uh, yeah, I, I you know, credit the Victorian clubs. In Melbourne City, we expected to be up there. You know, victory, we thought, would bounce back under Tony Popovich. That's not a a great surprise, especially with the talent that he, he gathered together. But John Aloisi and Hayden Fox, the coaching team there, deserve a big tick for what they've done at West United. That's the side that's jumped up. I think that's been they've been up all season, so we've kind of got used to the the story, but they deserve enormous kudos for what they've done. And a lot of people don't forget, a lot of people said John Aloisi doesn't deserve another job. John Aloisi doesn't deserve another go in the A League, which I thought was nonsense. Um, he can coach big time and I'm delighted that it's gone well for him and he's got a a very good assistant there in Hayden Fox. You touched on John Aloisi there, Garby. I wanted to ask you about uh, Tony Popovich as well. 16 games unbeaten heading into the second leg of the victory semi uh, against Western United on the verge of another grand final. Uh, we know his credentials in the A-League. He's been abroad twice, though, and hasn't quite worked out. So he could scratch the itch of that A-League championship within the next week or so. Do you, do you see him as a genuine Socceroos candidate come the end of this campaign? Oh, for me, he's the only candidate. I mean, unless you're going to go overseas and look for an option there, but why would you? I mean, I can't understand people who are vouching for that when you've got Tony Popovich in your backyard. Doesn't make any sense to me. And how, what more does he have to prove? <laughs> he wins the Asian Champions League with, with Western Sydney. You know, he's done it all in the A-League. Yeah, it hasn't worked out overseas for him, but, you know, he hasn't exactly been to the most stable environments either. He hasn't exactly been given a proper crack at it. Tony Popovich 
deserves a go at the Socceroos job. And if it doesn't work out for Graham Arnold in these playoffs, uh, he departs, of course. And even after the World Cup, there's a good chance Arnie departs if we are lucky enough to make it. Tony Popovich is the man. They should be talking to him now. They should go to him right now at the end of this finals campaign and say, you know, regardless of what happens at the playoffs and the World Cup, you are our man. We want you for the next four-year period because, you know, Arnie might be drained by all of this. Um, where are you at with it? Those, those negotiations should be happening now and getting it into his head. And I, and I don't see why he would say no because you only get that opportunity potentially once in a lifetime. I'd, I'd, for me, I am anti going overseas and getting an option there. I think Tony Popovich is an ideal candidate and uh, I'd love to see him in the job. I like it, I like it. Can't get more definitive than that. Uh, an interesting candidate at MacArthur, if we look ahead to next season, is the man who does have the job, Dwight York. Obviously, Manchester United and, and Sydney FC legend on the pitch. But beyond the uh, the A-League All-Stars, who will lead out next week against Barcelona, uh, doesn't have a great deal of top-level managerial experience. So what do you make of this appointment? I guess uh, some will point to uh, young Australian coaches not getting a not getting a gig with York coming in uh, at their expense. I think that's something that's actually improved in the A League over the over the past five years. I think probably yeah. the most comparable uh, example I can think of here is Robbie Fowler, who was a, a big name and had things gone right there, he could have brought a lot to the A League uh, as a coach outside of just his own side. But that obviously didn't work out. So, what do you make of the York appointment? An odd one, definitely. Look, I hope it goes well. Everyone wants it to go well. For MacArthur's sake, for Dwight York's sake, for the league's sake, I really do. Um, if I had to make a call right now, I'd say it, it more than likely won't, only because he, he doesn't have coaching runs on the board. So it's definitely an unusual one, definitely a surprising one. Um, you know, MacArthur, we spoke to them on the A-Leagues podcast this week, the CEO, Sam Krizlovich, and you know, they said they've done their due diligence. They interviewed plenty of people. He stood out. They wanted someone who was going to come in with a fresh set of ideas, not necessarily someone who was, you know, super experienced. Um, Sam Krizovich says he's always appointed rookie coaches, Mark Rudin, Ante Milicic to Sydney United. And they've both gone on to do really well. So, you know, he's been in that space. He understands it. Um, hopefully it works out for him. But, yeah, it's, it's hard to have confidence from where we are standing, considering he doesn't have, a great managerial history, if any managerial history at all, Dwight York. And um, yeah, maybe they've done this to try and get some interest and some headlines, you know, favourable for the club. And hopefully that works early on. But ultimately, fans don't go watch a coach of a marquee status walking up and down the sideline if the team's not winning. They leave pretty quickly. Same as a marquee striker is not scoring. They'll come for the first couple of weeks and then they'll depart. So the results and the substance need to be there. Hopefully it is. Desperately want it to work out. But, um, yeah, I, I don't necessarily have that much confidence right now, but I'd love to be proven wrong. Well, one way or the other, uh, football in Sydney does need to bounce back. I mean, the fact that uh, the only one of the five New South Wales teams that made the finals was the Central Coast, who had their backs against the wall, and uh, and that's been a great story this season. But uh, but Dwight York's old club, Sydney FC, uh, obviously Steve Corrick has cashed in a, a fair few of his brownie points uh, from the, the winning seasons. But uh, more importantly, where do we see Western Sydney uh, next season? I mean, uh, uh, they, they just seem to go from bad to worse with every coaching change and management decision. Uh, is there a, a, an upward trajectory for the for the season ahead? Hopefully. You know, that we, we need a, a healthy Wanderers in the league, for sure. So, you know, Mark Rudin's not leaving any stone unturned. He's clearing out the squad. He's clearing out the coaching department. He's going over to see, overseas to Europe to 
do a big scouting mission and try and find you know some some players who can boost the squad. Um, uh, hopefully, it works out for him. But if it doesn't, yeah, you, you should worry about this club and um, the amount of supporters they're going to lose because they haven't made the finals in five seasons now. I mean, that's just hard to fathom from a club of that stature. So, yeah, Mark Rudin's very confident and he's you know a tough operator and he only wants players who can match that. So we'll wait and see what he does to that squad and how he overturns it and what first 11 they have for the start of next season. My understanding is they've you know, already signed some a couple of well-known names, not necessarily glitzy marquees, but well-known players who can come in straight away, marquee status players, if not in name, but in pedigree. Um, so hopefully those players can make a difference. Hopefully they can. And before we let you go, Garby, you mentioned uh, that the, the A-League finals had to be you know, congested over a short period of time because of the Socceroos' important World Cup qualifier against UAE and hopefully uh, a second match against Peru. Uh, your predictions for, for that ahead, do, do we uh, are we holding out hope uh, where there's very little? Have you got any expectation that we'll be able to negotiate this tricky path and uh, end up in, in the World Cup in Qatar at the, uh, at the end of the year? I think it's possible, yeah. I mean, do I think we can navigate both games? Do I have great confidence that we will? I mean, 40-60 maybe in our favour. I think it's going to be tough. UAE won't be easy. It's like a home game for them. It's in their environment-wise backyard. Um, so that's a very difficult hurdle to get over at first, but it's certainly winnable for us. And Peru will be very tough as well. They're a very good team who beat us at the last World Cup, who have managed to keep teams like Chile and Colombia out of the stage of qualifying. I mean, just look at Luis Diaz for Liverpool, what he's done in the second half of the season. I mean, if he can't make it through with Colombia, Peru are going to be you know, serious, serious opponents. Uh, my understanding is they're going to play New Zealand about a week before and maybe in Barcelona to start tuning up. Um, you know, perhaps they will be a little bit unfamiliar with the environment there in Qatar, as opposed to Australia. If we do get past the UAE, we're about two weeks there. We'll feel very comfortable in that environment. Maybe that suits us. But it's going to be tough to get past both games, of course, considering the way we've played leading into the stage. But hopefully we do. Hopefully this break between the Japan game and now will just refresh everyone mentally. They can go in there and put in two big performances and get us to um, another World Cup. That would be fantastic. Yeah, it sure would, mate. I mean, it can't get any worse, really. They uh, clung on to that third place, uh, finished by the skin of their teeth after uh, after that uh, record-breaking run, uh, uh, which was probably in the end overrated. So uh, hopefully uh, Arnie can uh, get the squad back together. We can get some fitness. We can see players like Tom Rogic uh, back in the squad at their best and, um, and, uh, and make it through. Daniel, thank you. Again, for joining us, mate. Enjoy the rest of these A-League finals. Hopefully, we'll get a, a cracking grand final in about a week and a half's time and uh, we can look forward to the next season of A-League football, men's and women's, um, uninterrupted by the uh, the health uh, uh, issues of the pandemic over the last couple of years. Thanks, boys. All the best. No worries. ABC's Daniel Gubb, always generous with his time. Okay, stick around. We mentioned Socceroos there. We're going to talk more Socceroos and Matildas from a club scene after the break on Box to Box. Box to Box. Can you for Chemist Warehouse, home of real brands and real savings, and Storage King, the kings of storage, moving and more. And this could be the most crucial goal of all. Yes, this is Box to Box. Great chat with our good friend Daniel Garb there. We're going to talk to Henry Winter a little later on in the show. We've got Socceroos and Matildas coming up with Willem. He's got all the news. But before we do, the Chemist Warehouse Mayhem Vitamin Sale is on now. 
all the big brand vitamins. Yes, they're half price. They're Swiss, Synovus, BioGland, Nature's Way, Blackmores, LifeSpace, Nature's Own, Go Healthy, and more. All, yes, half price. The sale excludes bulk sizes, so stock up in-store or online on all your favourites at Chemist Warehouse. The great savings are every single day. The sale ends on the 22nd of May, so make sure you get in there. I always do it when it's half price. Willem, have you got any for your Blackmores or your Nature's Way? Yeah, I've got the Nature's Way. Well done. Edge, you stocked up? Yes, Rob. I'm uh, a regular down at my Chemist Warehouse in Coonang Road, Carnegie. I've got two to go to, one at the top of the street, one at the bottom of the street. I've got to toss the coin every day. Oh, it's a big, big decision at Chemist Warehouse, where the great savings on the May Mayhem sale end on the 22nd of May. All right, Willem, uh, we've got some great news uh, around uh, the football scene. We can, can't pack it all in. I mean, we've got to uh, record the podcast at some point. So it always means in the seven-day cycle of football that we're going to miss something. So, uh, uh, But we can preface some things that we're going to uh, sort of touch on and then and get into in more detail after the event next week. Yeah, we're going to miss the Europa League final, unfortunately. The exciting thing to look forward to from an Australian perspective there is that Odin Rustic uh, is, of course, involved. on track Frankfurt playing Rangers. Not convinced he's going to start, Michael, as Frankfurt have been progressing through the Europa League into the sort of final stages. He's been playing the league, uh, the bulk of the league minutes. But if it does stretch into extra time and maybe penalties, we could see him come into it uh, later on. But that would be uh, that would be a special uh, a moment for Australian football. Another one, if you could lift that, I think the first... Uh, Australian man since Mark Schwartzer in 2010 when he was with Fulham to play in a a major European Cup final. So that is something to look forward to uh, and hopefully discuss on next week's program. Certainly is. Uh, Whatever happens, I hope he plays well and he carries that form into the Middle East and the important games in uh, in Qatar. Concern though, Rob, around what the actual Europa League final is going to look like. Talk of 100,000 Rangers supporters uh, en route route to Seville. 50,000, I heard elsewhere, 80,000 Eintracht Frankfurt supporters are headed there. Obviously, not every one of those is going to have a ticket. Uh, We've seen some rather desperate kind of strange videos from Rangers legends, Alec McCoyst and others this week pleading with their fans on social media to behave, behave. The word has been behave yourself, best behavior, please for goodness sake behave. So uh, it could get dangerous. We know their reputation precedes them. Fingers crossed everyone does in fact behave. Yeah, well, the uh, Estadio Ramon Sanchez Pijuan uh, has a capacity of 42,700. So uh, there's going to be a few uh, people in the overflow section, just quietly. So mm. um, I'm I worried hope, about um, this, guys. This is this is the, the recipe for disaster, it really is. Yeah, Yeah. well, after what we saw at the end of the Forest game, um, I mean, uh, I know we're going to... Um, well, this, that'll uh, be nothing in comparison to what could happen well, here. Well, exactly. There's nothing like spoiling a, a big event. So, you know, we don't want to death ride this because most of our listeners tuning into this conversation will know exactly what's happened at the point which they listen to. Uh, uh, to it, so you know, hopefully we're wrong. What about some reflections on Tom Rogic, uh, uh, Willem, uh, for Socceroos Central? I reckon he'd uh, need to talk about the boy from Canberra, don't we? Yeah, we certainly do. Nine seasons with Celtic, 16 major trophies and a few tears as he walked off in front of the packed house uh, on the weekend, got a big hug from Ange Postacoglu, who's been an awesome servant. Um, more than a servant, he's been, you know, he's got the, the magic feet at times and he scored some big goals. There was a bond against, um, I think it was Aberdeen in the Scottish Cup final uh, that, that sealed it for them. Some conjecture from Australian fans over the years that one of our most talented technical players has spent his whole career or the bulk of his prime in Scotland. But I think what we don't consider is just how... Uh, tough he's found it with his body at times so I suppose when you know the physios you know the club they're the guys and the and the ladies that have gotten you up so consistently across the journey uh, and you know that you have issues uh, with your body from time to time it makes sense that he has decided to stay uh, he's still not 30 though so I mean the, the sort of 
word whether there's anything to it is that he'll head to the Middle East. Uh, I think he could still do some damage in a pretty good league for a couple of seasons if he wanted to continue to play uh, at, a, at a good level uh, rather than go and take the money in the UAE, obviously, or UAE or Middle East rather. He's... His decision, his career, Michael, but no, he's been magnificent for Celtic and uh, glad that he hung around for one more season. Yeah, look, I think um, Ange Postacoglu made a big um, point of acknowledging Tom's role in his own success with Australia, the 2015 uh, Asian Cup uh, qualification for Russia World, World Cup. He was a, a very pivotal player in that campaign and and obviously um, this season with Celtic. And Ange does reflect on saying that he believes Tom's got his body to a point where it's probably the best it's been for uh, a number of years. So at 29 years of age, he's still got the great opportunity ahead of him to make a, a big impact in whatever he decides to do. The good thing is that I think he's earned it. Um, I really can't wait to see Tom roll over the top of the UAE and dig in for a knife fight with Peru. I really hope that um, these two matches that we've got coming up uh, in Qatar, these incredibly important playoffs. I hope Tom uh, comes along to that Socceroos group and really drags them along because he has the capacity to do that. Um, and whatever he decides to do in the future, he's earned the right to choose. If he goes to Saudi Arabia for a, for a big payday, um, good luck to him. Or if he chooses to go to Europe and over to the continent where I know he would be successful or even maybe... Um, you know, a, a number ten position at one of the one of the smaller Premier League clubs. I mean, wherever he goes, he's going to be um, he's going to be competitive. He's a very good player. Um, I think Australian football fans have treated him harshly along the journey, and I think he's uh, he's a Rolls Royce and one of our best. It's a bit of a sad injustice, really, that he and Aaron Moy aren't, unfortunately, Asian champions. They missed the 2015 uh, Asian Cup, but the likes of your Terry Antonis and your Chris Herds uh, uh, got the trophies. No disrespect to those guys, uh, magnificent professional careers. But, um, yeah, the fact that Tom Rogic and, uh, and Moy missed uh, certainly eats away at me late at night, Michael. I don't know about you, but, yeah, no, hopefully for Tom, some, uh, some more chapters with the Socceroos to write. Let's have a look at some guys at the very start of their international careers because Trevor Morgan has named uh, Australia's squad for the Under-23 Asian Cup. Uh, going to be played in Uzbekistan in June. And before we mention who the players are, good to see Perth Glory, ex-Perth Glory boss Richard Garcia is back uh, on the horse, Michael, after he became the stiffest man in Australian football getting the axe by the glory. Yeah, and, uh, you know, um, I've made my uh, views known that I thought that was a ridiculous decision by the Perth Glory hierarchy, one that they'll pay for, I think. So good Good luck and uh, well done to Richie. I mean, I, I mean, he's an incredibly talented uh, footballer in his own right. In his day, played a, a lot for the Socceroos. Who could forget him lining up in the strikers' position <laughs> before the Australian team the opening match of the 2010 South Africa World Cup in Durban? And um, not uh, Pimperback's greatest moment, I can tell you. But um, having said that, uh, Richie's got a role with those uh, young and developing under-23s. Uh, the Oli Roos uh, heading into the Asian Cup in Uzbekistan. Good luck to them. I think that the games, uh, Willem, uh, are coming up in, at uh, 4th of June. It's the first one. I think it's against Kuwait. Yep. Help me out with the other ones. Not able to help you out at the minute, but let's uh, let's go through the squad. So just quickly, Trevor Morgan uh, is the coach. Richard Garcia is the assistant. And then this will be Tony Vidmar's side 
uh, on the road to Paris. So the keepers, Joe Gauci, Nicholas Villacapic, who's at Huddersfield Town on loan at the minute, and Jacob Chapman. Uh, this is an exciting squad, Michael. Hoisin Billity, uh, we don't know too much about, but Jordy Boss, who's been killing it for Melbourne City in the Champions League, Jordan Courtney Perkins, Jacob Farrell, Lewis Miller, Josh Rawlins, and Kai Truen are the defenders. Midfielders, sort of solid types, Dorigo, Nisbet, Nisbet Cameron Perpion, Patrick Yazbek, and then your striker wing types, Lachlan Brook, Tyrese Francois at Fulham, Tristan Hammond, Alu Kwol, Rami Nazarene, Bernardo, Patrick Wood, and of course, Australia's most prominent striking prospect, Jay Rich Bagaloo. And Rob, just to finish up, Football Australia have announced they'll celebrate the 100-year anniversary of the Socceroos' first match on June 17, 1922, this year. So they're not going to celebrate it on a particular date as such, but there's going to be a range of initiatives and rollouts uh, across the rest of 2022, including a, a Socceroos team of the century, which will be uh, be pretty exciting. Uh, hopefully, at some stage, we can play against New Zealand, who we did meet in Dunedin in that first match back in 1922. Two. That was the first of a 14-match tour, which included three test matches, if you like. So they were the official, what accounted now as the official A international. So hopefully we can play New Zealand at some point. Obviously, what 2022 looks like for Australia and New Zealand uh, isn't too clear, but will become clearer uh, within the next month. And also, we know there's a book coming out uh, later this year uh, about 100 years of the Saroos. And uh, so we'll get some uh, someone related to that book on the show and uh, and jump into it in a little bit detail. We do need to embrace more of our football history uh, in this country, get more books out and um, and reflect on it well, like so many other sports do, uh, not only um, in Australia, but around the world. So, uh, yeah, 100 years of soccer history. It's, uh, it's a time to celebrate. Well, well, well done. Um, after the break, we are going to talk to our good friend Henry Whitter. It's been a few months since we last talk to him he is literally one of the leading voices one of the best journalists in the world uh you jump on the times some of his copy is is just the best most prosaic uh descriptions of football that you'll you'll find and uh, we're privileged uh, that he comes onto our uh, show and and we'll have a chat to us about the uh, the final round of the premier league that's all next on box to box box to box for chemist warehouse home of real brands and real savings and storage king the kings of storage moving and more and this could be the most crucial goal yes this is box to box now to get ready for our next chat i warmed up by watching the moment in time when sergio aguero carved his name into the pantheon of sports greatest moments to win manchester city's first premier league title in 2012 snatching it from under the noses of their storied neighbors of course immortalized by the commentary of martin tyler who completed his iconic description of the goal by saying, I swear you'll never see anything like that again. A decade on and the stage is set for a repeat. This time City lead Liverpool by a point and a win at home will seal the title. But gate-crashing proceedings will be a Trojan horse by the name of Steven Gerrard who despite 500 games for the Reds is infamously remembered for, as much for a slip at Anfield that effectively ended Liverpool's title race and, yes, led City to taking the crown. Can he mastermind a result against City, this time leading Aston Villa at Etihad? Well, we'll find out this weekend. And to help us pick apart a mouth-watering denouement of the 21-22 season, who better than football's leading writer from the Times, Henry Winter, it's great to have you back on the show, Henry. Hi, Rob. Hi, guys. Henry, a slightly extended preamble, but I think this weekend justifies setting it up that way. Uh, I guess uh, you know the the, the theatre in all of us hopes that there's going to be an exciting finish. Um, are we going to get let down? Do you think City just win against Villa? Uh, what's your feelings on, on the way it's all going to play out? Well, it was a great preamble. You could have gone on and on. <laughs> you know, Shakespeare didn't do things in one act. You know, and this has been a drama that's sort of stretching out before us. And I was at St Mary's last night, heading to the Etihad at the weekend, and it's one of those things that you just 
can just imagine the momentum that's in the Liverpool dressing room, even the, the reserves, reserves in inverted commas, you know, they're all internationals, all top quality players, or the majority of them stepping in. You saw the way James Milner played last night. He embodies, along with Jordan Henderson, that emotional force that's driving this team on to chase one of the best teams we've seen in English football in, in Manchester City, who, you know, as you say, is still the favourite. But that Stephen Gerrard dynamic narrative, you know, I mean, it's, you know, it's the cake where people keep on putting more and more icing on it. It's just extraordinary. And the Gerrard thing's interesting because he, you know, everyone talks about the split. But it, and, and the City fans will sing about the, the split, Steve Gerrard, Gerrard and all that. But you know what? It's actually the split that's one of the reasons why Steven Gerrard is such a driven manager. Because he didn't win the title. Because he's such a proud individual. And he can hear what people are seeing about him. And he, he takes what happened to him and that split and Denver Bar scoring. He takes that so personally, being a Liverpool fan. And that, I, mean, I talked to him about it. I said, listen, that slip is obviously you know, the worst moment of your playing professional career. But actually, it could be the making of you as a manager. And he, he knows that. And it's driving him. And it will be quite ironic if the City fans did sing it. And he did mastermind something on the Sunday. I would be, still be surprised because Manchester City are a fantastic team. You just think they've got too much on the table. And Amber Villa, who of course given our crazy schedule, they've got to play on Thursday night. One of the other narratives for the weekend will be the fourth spot as well. It seems that Spurs have tied that up after the win over Arsenal during the week, Henry. And you don't don't think they're going to slip up against Norwich. But what was your analysis of that game earlier in the week? And uh, what does that say about both teams heading into the, into the next season? Who, who's, who, whose fans should be happier? Well, I think Spurs fans would be absolutely delighted. They'll be chanting, mind the gap, which for those of you who've been on the on the tube system in London is is what they say because you know you know what the UK's like we're not very good at uh, getting everything sort of organised and there's a gap between stepping off the train and onto the platform and it's a real London thing you say mind the gap and it's a mind the gap between you know in terms of point quality you could argue certainly in the dugout between the, the North London neighbours and I mean I was there at that game and, and Spurs the North London derby and Spurs just wanted it more they were more organised and when you've got a player like Harry Kane in the form that he is in, such a team player, such an intelligent player, he's a nine, but he drops off as a number 10. He can release on through and Kulisevsky when he plays. You know, They were absolutely up for that. You know, Arsenal didn't need to win that game. They basically just needed to keep Spurs at arm's length and a draw would, would, would do. But you know what it's like in a fight between two people, between two teams like that. The one who has that visceral hunger, who absolutely needs it most, and Spurs did, went on and won. Of course, they've got a coach in Antonio Conte who organises them, motivates them, throws the occasional hand grenade round in press conferences to, to, to intimate he's going back to Italy or he's going on holiday or he's going off and a half. And it just drives Spurs on. And, you know, there is this expression, Spursy, you know, they get to a certain place and then they shoot themselves in the foot and they miss an opportunity. But Conte's the opposite of Spursy. You've seen it in the league here and in Italy. You know, he's, 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 a, he's a winner and he'll drive them over the line. And Arsenal just looked exhausted physically, mentally. saw them the other day and they just didn't have, at Newcastle, they just didn't have a fight. Um, the squad is too thin. They should have invested more in January. But in terms of their direction, they're going the right way under uh, Arteta. They've got some good young players. Smith-Rowe still looks a bit tired. Saka's a bit tired. 
Odegaard a little bit older, but he's been good, although he was bullied against Newcastle. got rounds there. So, look, Arsenal has a longer-term project, use that horrible phrase. They're going in the right direction. But at the moment, they're going to the Europa League. I wonder which direction Chelsea are going in, Henry. Many people's, some people's favourites at the start of the season to win to win the whole thing. That looks a bit silly now. A lot of people pointing at the ownership situation for their dip in form, but I, I suspect the rot has started a, a little earlier and some problems with the side. How, how do you assess Chelsea's season and do you think it could get worse before it gets better? Well, first, Tuchel's done an amazing job to keep them going, keep them in third place, keep the majority of the squad contented, given the chaos that's going on, as you say, with the with the ownership. Little things like um, they were staying in a hotel recently before a match, and normally the, with the hotel, you say, right, we want a later check-off because we've got an evening match, and they thought about that. They didn't have enough money on the, on the company club cards to actually do that. So they all have to check out at 12 o'clock at lunchtime and then around reception. So, look, I mean, look, I've got the world's smallest violin out here because these are well-paid, you know, athletes and, you know, they, they, they can handle that, particularly when you think what fans go through in terms of cost and logistical problems. But, you know, it, it is it is just, it upsets their, their routine and Tuchel has just handled that. He's handled Lukaku's, <coughs> excuse me, his injury, oh, sorry, his interview with the Italian media. Well, but it, in his handle, there's no one who's really come out and sort of addressed the issues that are going on with the owner. So the only public facing figure is Tuchel. So you go to one of his press conferences, and a lot of the questions are about about sanctions. Obviously, that you know the, the horrendous scenes that we're seeing in Ukraine, the despot that is Putin, and you know his job is sort of headers and volleys. But I think to take go back to your point about the what had started before, it's really been exacerbated by the sanctions. So you get someone like Rudiger, who's been a fantastic centre-half for them. And fair play to him. He knows he's needing to go to Real Madrid. But he is absolutely putting in a shift. Christensen, who really he would probably leave before he go to Barcelona, he hasn't put in a shift. So Tuchel's had to sort of juggle all that. Players whose minds could be elsewhere. And fair play to Rudiger for focusing on the here and now, even though it's going in the summer. And then Christensen you know, not really being available to play in the cup final. So, first play to Tuchel that he's managed to sort of drive that through to get them. You know, they played Liverpool four times this season. Liverpool are one of the best teams we've seen in this country in the last 30 years. And yet he's, I don't think they've lost to them. I mean, apart from the two penalty shootouts. So, they've, they've had a, a decent season in the circumstances. They'll finish in the Champions League. But the most important thing they need to get over the line is the new owner, Top Early, to sort all the issues out with the, uh, the UK government and start rebuilding Chelsea emotionally as well as all the issues that need doing around the squad and particularly with a new stadium. Henry, we've had a look at the top end of the table. Why don't we just um, take uh, let you take us on a journey at what's going to happen for Everton, Leeds and Burnley who are all still in the hunt to avoid relegation but we know only one of them can. How do you think that's going to play out. And just a specific question on Everton and Frank Lampard. What have you made of their rearguard action since his appointment? And is, has he done enough to hold his head up? Or I imagine it depends on this uh, result to their last two games. Well, Brentford was a car crash the other day with the two red cards as well. I mean, he, he, he'd done them almost safe from relegation until, until that result. I mean, it is an absolute dogfight down there. When you go to these games, you know, we sort of write about it in a fairly 
fairly detached way. We talk about it in a fairly detached way. But when you go to Goodison, and when you go to Turfmore, and when you go to uh, you know the uh, you go to Ellen Road, I mean it, it's just a human drama being played out, and the pain. You know these these fans. They're, they're, a lot of them, their lives revolve around one position in the table, finishing 17th rather than 18th. So a lot of the people who work at the club, the staff, particularly post-pandemic, with it, with the, you know, the cost cutting that's gone on at some clubs in the Premier League, they're going to lose their jobs if they go down. So there's so much on the line. It's not simply about, you know, the, the team and the manager. The teams and the managers will always be fine. They've got good managers and they can go on. They're good players and if they go down, you know, they can probably leave and go on. But the fans and the staff, it's it's absolutely brutal. And you walk into these grounds and it's like it's like walking into an A and E unit, you know, so accidents and emergency in our language. You know, and because just people are just so nervous about what's gonna happen. And third place to the fans, you know, they've got behind their teams, they've just, you know, good, Frank Lampard, coming back to your Chelsea question, sorry, Chelsea, coming back to your Everton question, Frank's so embedded in Chelsea folklore in the country, but he just, he's tapped into the sort of the emotional energy of the Gladys Street and Goodison generally, and that has been just fantastic and has driven Everton along until that last game when a couple of players made stupid decisions. So, I think Lampard's done a decent job. Jesse Marsh, the the jury's probably out. There are quite a few of the Leeds fans who are wanting to go. We told you so. We should have stayed loyal to uh, to Bielsa. And what a good job Mike Jackson has done, sort of stepping up from the under-23s, working with Ben Mee, you know, with uh, Sean Dyche having gone. And they had a bad result the other day. So, again, Thursday night, Sunday, it's going to be absolute carnage. And in a way, your heart goes out to the people who are involved in that position because it is it's absolutely brutal those managers won't be sleeping they'll be plotting everything and they'll have everything planned they'll have worked with the players all week and then they'll get a bar decision will go against them they'll get a, a, a defender just you know dozing off for a split second momentary loss of concentration and the team's down so it's it's just a it's it's dreadful down there Certainly is, and with all of that drama and jeopardy that's going to play out on Thursday and Saturday, um, there's a big game on Sunday, uh, Nottingham Forest. There's been a little bit of drama during the week with some outrageous behaviour by a Nottingham Forest fan in bowling over a Sheffield United player. We might get you to comment on that, but um, without that stealing the, the, the headlines from what is a Tremendous story, Nottingham Forest. I mean, uh, they are an incredible brand and an incredible club. It's been uh, over 20 years since they've participated in the uh, in the top flight of English football. I mean, uh, what is the mood around Nottingham Forest? And uh, I imagine um, uh, the Forest fans are coming out of the woodwork well and truly. Uh, not just at home, around the world. I'm sure if you, if you walk down streets near you, you'll probably see Nottingham Forest shirts when the, when the playoff comes on Sunday week. Outside. I mean, it is just you go to Nottingham Forest now, and this is a this is far too premature comparison, but there are slight echoes of when Clough was there, just in terms of the buzz around the place on the banks of the Trent, just around the charisma, in a very sort of unique way of their young manager Steve Cooper. We know, we know from his work with England under 17s and uh, the age groups and 
good at Swansea in the academy at Liverpool, but he was a very special, quite unique uh, individual. I mean, he's, you know, to talk to him, he doesn't he doesn't do interviews. He doesn't really like his players doing interviews. I think it's partly because he wants to focus on, on getting up. But there's something about him. But practically, he's very good. He sets his team up well. But it's his man management. And you, you're, in his, you're in his company. And you think, actually, what, what is this man exuding? Because he's, he's not tall. He's not sort of, you know, strike. He's not a clock-type figure in terms of his presence. But there's something that just emanates. From, uh, from Steve Cooper and you just come away thinking my god there's something about this man you know you'd run through a brick wall for him and you know obviously I would do it probably holding my laptop out in front of me and you can just imagine what the players would do for him because they, they they're just marching to his feet and what he's done at Nottingham Forest is remarkable Nathan Jones got uh, Newton Town got voted manager of the, of the season <clears throat> but for me what Steve Cooper has done, getting them from the relegation positions into the playoffs and now to Wembley. And of course, sadly, we have to mention what that Forest fan did. Obviously, there's a police investigation going on and you have to respect that and the wheels of justice will will, will roll on that. But I, I just feel sorry for the club who, you know, if you've got what, you know, one or two fans like that within, it can spoil, you know, can spoil the night and give you the headlines that you don't want. But overall, what Forest are doing is just a mini revolution. I think if you talk to most Forest fans when Steve Cooper came in, they say, well, we're honestly slightly better football than what we got under Chris Hooton, and we don't want to be in a relegation dogfight. And look at them now. I mean, I'm getting messages from Forest fans this morning saying, you know, any tickets? Because Wembley will be sold out. You know, it will just be huge there. So, yeah, it's, it's, it's a fantastic story. And the thought of Forest back in the Premier League, and of course, you know, the mischievous way life works. They'll probably get Liverpool in the first game and it will be so emotional for, for, for Steve Cooper given how his career developed. But, you know, it's it's just another extraordinary season. I know we say this every year, but I think this is one of the most eventful, dramatic seasons throughout the four divisions. You know, you look at what's happened to Derby County, um, Forest's big neighbours, and Forest fans, I'm sure, will be seeing about Derby's demise at Wembley. So you've got all this drama and this narrative going on. And just coming back to our old friend Shakespeare, not even the great part <laughs> could have scripted a season like this. Yeah, you and Henry, yeah, that's it right about uh, Forrest. Uh, it's um, it's quite common to, to see people at uh, A-League matches or you know just walking in, down the street uh, uh, from time to time in a Forrest shirt from those glory days. It'll be, uh, if they do make it back, it'll be great to see them back. And obviously uh, we, we expect those uh, other issues uh, to be dealt with by the appropriate uh, authorities. Henry, we could talk to you for another hour. We would love to do that, but we have run out of time, mate. Uh, uh, safe travels up to Scotland and, uh, mate, enjoy this weekend as you're watching it on a, a Sunday afternoon we'll be setting our alarm clocks at about 12.30am for a 1am start but uh, maybe we'll probably have our radios on and watching uh, two screens at the same time and just be as much into it as anyone over there Yeah well it'll be worth waking up for I can promise you that We sure will. Henry Witter thank you so much mate we'll talk to you again soon My pleasure, take care Always excellent chatting to Henry, isn't it, guys? Uh, from the Times, the great man himself. Uh, stick around. We have got a few more topics to get through in stoppage time. That is after the break on Box to Box. Box to Box. Can you believe it? For Chemist Warehouse. Home of real brands and real savings. And Storage King. The kings of storage, moving and more. And this could be the most crucial goal of all. 
Yes, this is Box to Box. This is Stoppage Time. We've got plenty of time to get through what is a pretty long list of topics. Uh, we had uh, a great conversation with a fantastic Henry Winter from the Times just now, but there's still a few more Premier League uh, stories to go through. Derek, um, what are you going to get a start up with, mate? Yeah, I suppose straight off the back of uh, Henry and the Premier League, and he touched on Chelsea. Uh, you know, we asked him how he felt Chelsea's season had gone and how much the takeover had had an impact on the season. Clearly, they've nosedived a little. They lost the FA Cup final, of course, at the uh, at the weekend. And congratulations to Liverpool for uh, getting that job done, he says through gritted teeth. Mm-hmm. But obviously, Chelsea have probably got bigger fish to fry than that final. And it seems to, that the uh, consortium led by Ted Booley uh, is is not able to complete this deal at the moment. That's uh, $7.5 billion Australian uh, is going to be worth. But complications mean that it has not been completed yet. Some even suggesting that um, Abramovich might even... Uh, you know, let the club go under because of, of certain things that he's not happy about with the way that this is uh, this has been progressing. So, I just suppose obvious statement to make. But if you're a Chelsea fan or a Chelsea player, and uh, you're going to be very worried about this situation. Yeah, and obviously politics is colliding with um, with sport here in a in a way that's um, very very tricky. So. Abranovich is obviously trying to uh, get some of his loan monies back, all of them or some of them, and in the context of the government approvals, that's obviously unlikely. So that seems to be one of the major sticking points. Um, yeah, look, I've got a bit of a bad feeling about this, Derek. Um, I think that, uh, yeah, I think there's trouble ahead for Chelsea in this in this transaction unless the government... Um, is going to soften their stance a little bit, and um, I don't expect they will. So I'm not uh, too optimistic that this transaction is going to be completed. Something I think we can all be uh, optimistic about, gents, is the news of Blackpool's Jake Daniels, uh, who's come out as uh, the first openly gay active male professional football player in the UK, uh, you know, coming sort of hot off the heels, so to speak, with our own Josh Carvalho, and he's... He's 17 years old. He's at the very start of his career. He says that the decision has allowed him to be free and confident. So these guys are, are obviously courageous, and, and uh, you know I'm sure everyone on the show back, backs them to the hilt. Uh, but I just think there's so much to take on as a, as a young player. You know, at 17 years old, your career is not even beginning, and you've got the pressures of, of will you make it as a professional footballer. Um, but he obviously thinks that by uh, by making this decision that he will will allow him to just focus on his career and we hope that um we hope we hope that it goes well from him is there is there anything that that Jake can learn uh, do you think Rob from uh, Josh Carvalho you know to the extent of um you know any blowback that he had or or his performances uh, you know what what can Jake look to. I suppose the one thing that we've seen from from Josh Cavallo is uh, is the incredible support that he had internationally uh, from the biggest names and the biggest clubs uh, and and non sporting uh, uh, commentators when he he came out. Uh, but uh, and, and we've seen Jack Daniels receive similar. Uh, uh, support as well, but but what it doesn't um, in in you you two is the fact that there are still um, pond scum out there in the uh, in the terraces who who will 
shout homophobic remarks uh, as they do racist remarks uh, and and anything that they uh, they feel uh, uh, that they you know they've got on their mind at any given time regardless of uh, the consequences uh, um, the uh, the fine that, that Melbourne Victory received five thousand dollars would seem to be um, a, a slap on the wrist with a damp lettuce so uh, I think uh, to, to, to specifically answer your question what I think Jake Daniels can learn is that uh, um, that he has wonderful support but also that that, that um, there is going to be some pain in this journey along the way and that he needs to lean into that support that he's getting um, as, uh, as his career uh, moves on. We're going to go to, from Blackpool to Real Madrid, uh, one of uh, Edge's favourite players, at least to say, Kylian Mbappe. Or Mbappe. Uh, it looks like he is going to Real Madrid, according to Guillaume Balaguer, that guru of uh, Spanish transfer gossip. And if that is true... Uh, I want to ask the question: What does this What does this mean for the PSG project? Uh, you know, they they offered him, they threw the the absolute bank at him to try and stay. Uh, looks like he's not going to stay. Uh, he could have probably earned money, better money elsewhere as well. But he is going to Real Madrid, and look, he certainly won't be uh, short of cash as he uh, arrives in the the Spanish capital. But going going for that. Uh, prestige club or that prestige projects over the law of the money so PSG couldn't keep hold of their sort of homegrown talents well he's not homegrown because he came from Monaco but I think you know what I mean boys um Edge City you know the other one of the Petro companies they don't tend to sell or let their players go the ones that they want to keep but um are are uh, PSG paying the price for their the league they're in, the, the Champions League form, and, and maybe just the, the, the kind of aura around the club. It's how they're running the club. Um, they shouldn't be losing a player like Kylian Mbappe. I love that uh, <laughs> I can give him his own unique little name. Uh, Mbappe is really, um, he's been destined to play for Real Madrid. It's ever since Zizou sat in his uh, lounge room as a 14-year-old. It seems to be that uh, Kylian has a a real love for Real Madrid, and he's made no secret in the past of his desire to play there. So, um, yeah, it just seems that he's always been destined to go to that club and uh, PSG haven't been able to hold on to him. Um, PSG, uh, uh, look, you know, the, the wealth of the Qataris and the um, amount of money that they've ploughed into that uh, club with one sole objective of winning the Champions League, they would be devastated they would be devastated with uh, what's transpired um they probably will never say it publicly and you won't get a hint out of them but they will be um so i think this club needs to really think about um how it's going to um reshape itself for another assault on the champions league um i think one of the great difficulties psg faces and we've talked about it is just that the uh, bottom half of the competition in france the League Un is um, is pretty uncompetitive and they don't uh, get tested regularly. So when it comes to the big games, that maybe are not as razor sharp as they should be. Um, and um, you'd have to say, uh, based on um, their capitulations in recent uh, Champions League big matches at the pointy end of the tournament, you'd have to say that might be the case. While we're kind of talking football and money and Europe, Edge, you've got a line on UEFA and some of those lucrative pre-season tours. Yeah, UEFA's just made a sneaky announcement during the week that has put them on a fresh collision course with the Premier League's elite. Uh, UEFA is proposing that they um, have um, four team tournaments and maybe one or two played in that uh, 
pre-season window, um, heavily marketed into America and Asia. Um, my uh, The Daily Mail in the UK, that uh, great rag, the Daily Mail, it's uh, one of the great rumour rags of all time, but they're, they're reporting that the Premier League clubs are livid, that UEFA's blatant uh, attempt to undermine their pre-season activity and cut across their commercial objectives around these pre-season tours. So it just seems to me that there is no place UEFA won't go to um, raise money for the the big brands that it's trying to uh, keep inside the tent. And, um, you know, my views are well known, Derek. I think the pre-season tours, um, yeah, they're they're not value for money. Governments around the world get slaughtered on them. And, you know, I'm I'm just looking for some integrity around these competitions where we have a season... Um, and we have Champions League and we have um, League Cups and all those sorts of things, and that's what we have. We, we can forget about all this stuff on the periphery and because um, I, I think it's uh, distracting from the real stuff. That's, my, uh, that's, that's the gospel according to Edge on this uh, late in this program of, around stoppage time. Well, uh, yeah, good stuff, Edge. And um, one quick one. We'll go to Rob very quickly. He's been he was filling up our WhatsApp group with this story, and we were talking about the uh, the the kind of uh, oligarch uh, oil clubs and another one, Newcastle. Um, I was I did chuckle when Newcastle played Man City that the uh, fixture was called El Gasio. I thought that was a good one. Um, but Rob, tell us about the shirts that Newcastle might be wearing next season. Well, that uh, that esteemed rag you mentioned, Edge of the Daily Mail, um, uh, <laughs> broke a story uh, uh, from the. Uh, you know, he's he's a, if if you can have a shock jock in newspapers, Oliver Holt certainly. When you read his article, uh, it does uh, come across as a bit of that. But uh, uh, he uh, he's leaked what is meant to be a the away kit. Newcastle next season and uh, not only does it look suspiciously like uh, the current official Saudi Arabia um, international team shirt but uh, um, but it, you know it def- dead set um, you know the, the white shirt with the, the, the green trims etc so we've discussed at length the issues of sports washing on this show our opinions are well known and uh, um, and we know that there's a fair degree of hypocrisy that goes on around international sport with this subject so you know you, you want to stand on you know, the the pulpit or you know the high moral ground uh, at great risk uh, to your own integrity when when you you, you start making comments but the, the point that um, that I felt landed most and uh, and Simon Jordan who uh, who does the, the morning show on talk sport uh, he, he former Crystal Palace owner he waxed uh, at lyrical at length uh, about the, uh, the the so-called cocking a snoot at uh, the Premier League and objectors uh, uh, if this is the case and we have to to, to, to to couch this with the caveat that this not might not be uh, a legitimate story but it's been carried and repeated across uh, various forms of, of media so so if it is the case... You're not suggesting it's clickbait, Rob? It, it just might be, Edge. Not that it's... I think you might be right. <laughs> look, look it, it could be. But let's just say for a moment, if it's not. Uh, look, who knows? I mean, politicians uh, throw stories out to see what the public reaction is, to see how it goes down. So, you know, it wouldn't be surprised to me if it goes away, never comes back because of the reaction that it got. And ultimately, the point is, if it is true, um, then whoever's running the PR for Newcastle... Uh, I think um, needs to get the Tijuana and employ somebody else who's got a bit of a, a better sense of reading the room. 
Edge, I know you've got strong opinions on this. Well, for our listeners around the world, Rob, do you want to explain that what the Tijuana means? Well, it's just rhyming slang, Australian. There was a, a band called Herb Albert and the Tijuana Brass, so getting the Tijuana simply means <laughs> those who aren't aware is uh, getting the ass. That's right, that's right. Look, I, it wasn't lost on me that the Newcastle fans were reacting in such a negative way about their potential takeover of the away strip when they turned a blind eye to all the other things that the Saudi state does. So um, the irony and hypocrisy and... Um, yeah, was, that was a bit. It was. It, it, let's say it, it hit home with me, Rob. Just quietly, um, they don't care about uh, journalists getting chopped up at the back door of the back uh, the backyard of the embassy, or they don't care about human rights and uh, gender issues in Saudi Arabia. But they care about their away strip. Premier League obviously going to the wire this weekend. Sari A will also go to the wire this weekend. The other major European league undecided. Uh, I'm sure Damien, our man on the buttons, will be keeping a close eye on this one as uh, AC Milan uh, will go into that two points clear. Um, they beat Atalanta 2-0 uh, to get into that position. Zlatan, Michael's favourite man, was so fired up on the AC Milan coach that he broke the windscreen of the team bus with one of his Karasi chops <laughs> and they will go to Sassuolo, another team that plays in white and green along with Newcastle next season, hoping to get the job done uh, into their two points behind, as we said, and they will be waiting for a slip up. They will play Sampdoria, uh, who are 16, so you'd think that they would beat them. Uh, so all to play for there. And just a note on Juventus, uh, Giorgio Chiellini, that absolute... Roman Centurion of a centre-back retires or moves away from Juventus. He had his last home game. They couldn't win for him. Uh, Lazio got a two-all draw and qualified for Europa League. So Serie A, all to play for, gentlemen. Uh, Edge, I think you've got one final line on US football. Why don't we start with Hope Solo? Yes, obviously the US goalkeeping great. Um, will be voluntary entering an inpatient alcohol treatment program. She made the announcement last week, uh, three weeks before she was to be inducted into the National Soccer Hall of Fame in Frisco, Texas. The Hall of Fame accepted her request to delay her induction until 2023. Solo's decision followed her arrest on March 31 in in Winston-Salem in North Carolina on charges of misdemeanor child abuse, resisting arrest and impaired driving. So good luck to Hope Solo, uh, one of uh, uh, women's football's greatest goalkeepers on the long road to recovery. And also just talking about National Women's Soccer League, um, they're rebooting an expansion process in 2022 following the successful debuts of Angel City FC and San Diego Wave FC from uh, both clubs uh, from California under the guidance of the new commissioner, Jessica Berman. They're rebooting their expansion program and looking to announce uh, four clubs coming into the competition in two years' time. So um, uh, nothing stops uh, progress in America. No, and uh, we echo your comments about Hope Solo too, mate. A great example uh, of somebody who's uh, gone off the rails, unfortunately. But if there's, uh, you know, among the, the many good things about American culture that they do lead the world in is, uh, is rehab programs. So uh, they're pretty good at it over there. So hopefully she gets a handle on it. One final one, guys, before we leave stoppage time. We had Wagatha Christie last week and... I was just reflecting on it this week as more uh, accusations came out of the courtroom there uh, when Rooney's been in, chucking Jamie Vardy and Rebecca Vardy under the brass for some, for some commentary. I'm just wondering if Rebecca Vardy is just sitting there in the courtroom. She's got plenty of time to think about it going, hmm, 
wonder whether I should have done this. <laughs> but, but do you think she's going to admit it, though? You know what we need to get Oprah Winfrey out of retirement and do another one of those Harry and Megan-style interviews and uh, um, and so I see if she can sort of pry it out of her and uh, and, and ask her for the, uh, you know... The thing is, that her, her husband, Jamie, has been banging in the goals left, right and centre. He just, he just doesn't seem to... Uh, well, Edgy impact. has to because he's got to pay the legal bills. <laughs> That's he right. needs another contract. <laughs> he's looking for his goal bonus. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. exactly. They reckon he spent a million pounds on the legal stuff. Yeah, at least. All right, boys. Um, but it is. It is just ridiculous. I mean, for those people that haven't been following it, um, just uh, have a good look on the Google search engine. There's plenty of uh, interesting stuff. Some of the stuff that's been in uh, evidence in the uh, court program has been hilarious. Oh, you don't have to look too far. I noticed the other day the, the article in the Times, which was on the front page, uh, was directly lifted now. It's a news limited newspaper uh, and dropped onto uh, the Australian website. Uh, so so you know, you're the Australian readers, I would think, uh, would, would not uh, have a great handle on who Rebecca and Colleen are, but uh, uh, it was just so absurd that it, uh, just from a sheer sort of, uh, you know, uh, as you said earlier, clickbait, uh, you know, sort of looking over the, uh, the the fence into someone else's dirty laundry point of Well, view. one of the things I noticed, Rob, was that uh, Jamie Vardy's wife had turned up to court in about uh, seven or 8,000 pounds worth of, uh, you know, designer outfit outfits, and uh, Colleen turned up in the uh, 27 pound skirt and uh, uh, blouse job from Target. Good on you, Colleen. All right. On that note, I think we've done Wag of the Trick, Wag of the Christie, enough justice, Michael. You have a good week. Um, we've we've got some news to tell our listeners at some stage soon. Um, do you think it'll be next week or the week after? I think so, Rob. Yeah. Look, look let's not uh, let's not. Uh, Just a little teaser. Yeah, we have got some good news coming. So those fans of the NPL, um, yeah, we've got some special news for those people. Yeah. But really we'll just keep that up our sleeve, Rob, for the moment. Yeah, no, no, that's all good. We just let give people a little taster. Uh, Derek, thank you, mate, and thanks for your support, boys, uh, uh, during my uh, And a big, big shout-out to John Beckett, Go Nottingham Forest, and Richard sure. Rudsky, uh, our good uh, mate Richard Rudsky, uh, one of the leading agents. He's a big Nottingham Forest fan, and uh, um, he's into his 70s these years. It's uh, He'll be sitting by the TV on... Monday week thinking, how good's that? But we'll get John on if they if they win. Derek, thank you. Thank you, Jens. Uh, Willem, if you're still there, mate, thank you. Well done. And again, as I said off the top of the show, outstanding effort last week. I think I might take a few more breaks uh, the way that you uh, steered the ship. Um, my loss, I was absent in the hospital. And Damo, thank you yet again, mate. You make it sound fantastic. We're as good as we can be each week. And, uh, and thank you to our listeners for joining us again. Please keep spreading the word about Box to Box. As we said, we'll have some more news on uh, on the future of the show, some uh, some positive, exciting changes that are uh, imminent, um, and, uh, and you'll be able to spread the word uh, as you subscribe to Box to Box, wherever you listen to your podcasts, and follow us on Twitter, like us on Facebook, and make sure you join us next week when we go from one end of the pitch to the other in the world game.